Charlie Bird, a Missouri native, was Cosmo the Cougar at Brigham Young University from 2016 to 2018. He received national acclaim for his multiple dance performances with the BYU Cougarettes after ESPN and many other news and social media channels picked up his video that went viral of Charlie dancing and keeping up with the Cougarettes. Charlie served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Redlands, California. He's the author of the Deseret Book best-selling memoir, Without the Mask, and he hosts a top-ranked religious podcast called Questions from the Closet. Charlie recently received a master's in social work from BYU. Today, you'll hear my interview with Charlie where he opens up about his identity first and foremost as a son of God and a gay Christian and member of the Church of Jesus Christ and the journey he's been on toward accepting himself fully and completely. Charlie's story is heartwarming and inspiring and was so helpful for me to have more awareness, compassion, and understanding toward other LGBTQ people. I'm honored to call Charlie a friend and I'm constantly entertained and inspired by his social media content. So it really was a treat for me to just sit down and talk with him today. And I hope you feel the same way as you listen to. Okay, Charlie, my new friend, I'm so excited to be having a conversation with you today. And first, we need to just talk about how we met last week in person because it was so funny. I don't, isn't that so awesome? Oh my gosh, I don't know about you, but I felt like it was totally meant to be. So I was eating at the PCC with my in laws. We happened to be in Hawaii last week for my husband's aunt's funeral. And someone had actually sent me a DM the day before and said, oh, make sure you look for Charlie Bird while you're in Hawaii because he's there. And I thought, oh, what are the chances? I probably won't see him. But we had been messaging and we already had this podcast episode planned. So I'm sitting there eating my elephant food truck food, the Thai food. Did you ever try that, by the way? Yeah, we went there. It's so good, right? Yeah, it was good. So I'm sitting there just eating my Thai food. And all of a sudden, I just see this like beautiful set of curly hair just walking by. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Charlie Bird. And I said to my in-laws, I'll be right back. And I jumped up and just ran clear across the, it's not even like a food court. It's like far away. I know, I ran and (laughs) pretty much like borderline accosted you, but you know, you were really nice about it. So (laughs) it was was such a nice surprise. Yeah, that was so It's always fun to meet people before you like do stuff together. Yes. Like emailing is one thing, but like the in-person, it's it's like so much better. Totally. So, and you were very oh, so gracious cool. and kind, even though I know you had stuff to do. Oh, also, how was the show? What did you think? I really liked it. There was, I was like, okay, there's going to be fire dancing. I'm excited. And then there was like a lot of fire dancing. Yes. And they like throw the fire across somebody else. It was amazing. And walk on it, it and really put it fun. in their mouth and all this crazy stuff that you're like, how is this I real? Know. And it is, it's... It was awesome. Yeah. I love the Tahitian dancers, like the the women in the skirts that yes. just like Yeah. Just, I love I bet you really enjoyed all the dancing. I like the body roll. I like a I like a hip pop. Yes. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you tempted to get up and dance with them? Yeah, I was. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and actually, Neil has, my husband has some family members who have been in that show. And I kind of thought there must be something. They're putting on like some some invisible like shoes or gloves or something that we can't mm-hmm. see. No, they just really get burned. They just get, they build up a tolerance to it. Isn't that just crazy? They actually walk <laughs> across wild. fire and yeah, they are crazy, but it's so fun to watch. So I'm super glad that you got to experience that. And anyone who does go to Hawaii, to Oahu, you have to go to the PCC because 
it's just part of the experience being there and learning the culture. And that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about you. And I'm so grateful for your willingness to have this conversation. And Charlie, I told you when we ran into each other in person that the thing that I want the most out of this conversation is for people to gain some compassion and understanding and just become better. I feel like most people that listen to this podcast really strive to be more kind and compassionate people. And so I hope that's what we can gain today while we talk about your journey and everything you've been through. But let's start off with the most important question that I loved that you addressed in a recent Instagram and you talk about it at the very beginning of your book. So how do you identify? I love that question too. I think identity is something that's really important to everyone. Like there are things that make us who we are, that we hold dear, that we hold special and sacred. I like to identify like first and foremost as a child of God. I'm a very religious person. I just, I see the hand of God in my life and I always have, I like to root myself in that um, kind of overarching identity. And then obviously I identify as like a part of my family, like what it means to be a bird. <laughs> my family is very Yeah. Where do you fall in and, your family? So I'm the middle of five kids. Okay. And we're very competitive, very athletic with like ourselves and each other. Yeah. And it's really fun. Like I just, I love being part of like my sibling group. Uh, on top of that, like probably the reason you asked this question is that I didn't identify as gay. And it's funny because it, it seems like identities matter most when they influence the way you're viewed and treated. Mm. And because of my religious background, where I'm from and kind of who I am, that identity becomes something that is often important to talk about and convey to other people just because of how interesting it is and how sometimes I'm viewed differently or treated differently because of this aspect of who I am. And so that's where that identity starts to become really important to share and discuss. Well, I really love the order in which you laid out that identity and how you identify, because I love how you say that the most important thing is you're a child of God. That's really such a cool concept that you and I both believe in. And I loved how you shared that too recently on Instagram and and that, and I also loved in your book, there was a part in the beginning of your book where you talked about how before you fully came out publicly, you felt like you were kind of stuck in between two groups where there were people who felt really, really strongly that you should love God, and but yet they had a really hard time with LGBTQ in general, just like as a generalization. And then you had the group of people that were very pro LGBTQ, but also kind of had a, a lot of times they were against organized religion and you felt kind of caught in the middle of both of those, right? Definitely. I think it's a really polarized space and it, and it always has been since I was a kid. And, and I grew up as a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Then I hold those values and beliefs very dear. And at the same time, this, this whole time I was really kind of devastated really with this part of me that I was ashamed of being attracted to men. It felt for so long that I was defective, that I couldn't ever tell anyone, that I couldn't ever be loved. And I spent a lot of my life, I mean, the majority of my life running away from that or praying that it would go away and fasting and pleading and just doing everything I could to not be gay because it was terrifying. Like the way 
I, I knew that, that like socially that would like put me at odds with who I am. It felt very weird that there was these two parts of me. And so it felt very much one or the other, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and the one I wanted to keep was religion. And I like, I didn't want to be gay. It was, it was scary. It was difficult. It would change my entire life plan. Yeah. And as I was like trying to kick that out, mm-hmm. it just kept getting worse and worse because I, I now view it as something really special and something kind of integral to who I am. And by trying to reject that, it led to depression and anxiety and suicidality. And I was just in a really, really difficult place. Coming to terms with that internally was one thing, but then like you were saying, externally too, like within society, there still seems to be this polarization where it's either you are religious or you're gay. Mm -hmm. And where does that leave someone who's both? Yeah. Yeah. And you've done such a beautiful job of showing people that you don't have to pick one or the other, that you can have aspects of both in your identity and who you are and what how you live your life. And I think you've been such a great example to so many people who want both in their life. And I love that. I think it's really amazing. So in your book, you talk about how you wrote the book for your 14-year-old self. Can you tell me why 14 is such an important age in your memory and who you were and how you were like what was going on in that time of your life actually a couple things were going on in relation to my family my parents were going through a divorce there were a lot of changes Mm -hmm. in my life um that were kind of you know like digging up like putting up a lot of dust yeah and i ended up having to take on quite a few responsibilities that i never imagined within my home as my parents configuration changed and my mom was working a lot and I took on a lot of responsibility and 14 is young. Yeah. I felt old and mature back then, but looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was a kid. You were totally a kid. Yeah. But on top of that, around the same time, I started realizing that I was attracted to men and that's pretty typical. I knew I was different from a very young age. I knew there was something like, I thought like off about me. Mm And I wasn't sure what that was, but as I was like, my body was maturing, I was going through puberty. It became really apparent that I was different from other guys around me that I wasn't attracted to girls. And that's when the shame immediately hit me. Yeah. So as all of this really family drama was going on, I had this really devastating moment of almost like I'm, I'm disgusting. Like I'm, there's something wrong with me. And that's kind of when my, that's when things got really difficult internally. And I was holding on to that shame and hiding. It it took me from that age, it took me 10 years to come out and start telling my family. And those were a hard 10 years. And there wasn't like an anchor point for me. I didn't know what anybody else who had been through that. It was really taboo. There was no like, I don't know. I feel like I didn't have a resource or really anyone to go to. So when I think about that, that boy who was 14, whose world broke Mm -hmm. and fell apart, thinking that there was no future and no happiness, that's who I wanted to help. Yeah. And I feel like too, and I don't, I don't know what year that would have been when you were 14. How, what year was that? I think it was 2008. Okay, so 2008, even I I mean people were starting to become more open in in our church and in a religious setting of 
LGBTQ people, but still, I feel like still in for sure in the 90s and even in the early 2000s, it was kind of just barely becoming a l- like cracking open just a little bit, but not not how it is now, largely because right. of people like you who have been brave enough to make it more, you know, make, make people who are in your same situation feel okay and feel like they're not just defective or broken or whatever. So I love that you say this is for my younger self and for so many other kids who are going to be able to read your book and, and not feel alone. Right. I I hope, and, and I feel like other people in this situation would be able to relate to that. Talking with friends and people I've met, it seems like honestly, around the time of puberty is when the shame sets in Mm. because we realize there's this thing about us that is like other, like we're different. And it's like, it's not good, different. I didn't view it as good, different. I viewed it as bad, different. In that space, I want someone to have hope. Yeah. I found it really interesting that you talked about becoming almost homophobic in your book. Can you explain that and what that, where that came from? Thanks for bringing that up because I think it's fascinating, right? I, I, I'm a pretty like, I would consider myself a practical. mm, I don't know if I'm not always practical. It depends, but but with this, like if I put my mind to something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right, and maybe it comes from that like competitive nature, that like internal drive. I'm looking at myself. I'm like, this is this part of myself I don't like. I'm going to change it, Mm. and I took a very systematic approach Mm -hmm. to that which first started like pretending it wasn't there after that I went through like a religious phase where I was like well God will take this away from me yeah and that wasn't working and I was like well let's do it psychologically and look into like conversion therapy and and science and that didn't work so then I was like well you know what I will just make myself like I will run away so far from anything even remotely related to the word gay Mm -hmm. so that it will never catch up to me. I don't want to be influenced. Mm, Right. Yeah. And because of that, like looking back, like my, my empathy for other people, like for trying to protect myself, I mean, plummeted. And I became like, I hated, I hated gay people because they represented everything I was terrified of. At that point, I very much viewed it as a choice or at least I wanted it to be a choice. So it could be something that I could escape from. And because of that, I I looked at people who, who came out or like associated with LGBTQ plus individuals as weak or wrong. Mm. And it was just like, kind of just like creating a web of like self-deprecation and hatred and lies to protect myself from what I was most afraid of. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think a lot of people will talk about how they've, in a self-discovery, they'll realize, or people just talk about this idea in general, that you oftentimes dislike the things in others that you dislike about yourself. So it makes a Mm -hmm. lot of sense what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad looking back. Like I, I even had a friend in high school who came out and I was like, oh, well, I'm never talking to him again. Wow. And I didn't. Yeah. Like it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah. But that, I mean, so, it was just part of your journey and experiencing and yeah. trying to figure out, figure yourself out. So I love when you talk about in your book, Becoming Cosmo. And can you tell a little bit about, that's when I first heard about you. I remember, so this is kind of an embarrassing admission, but I went to BYU 
But don't hate me. I'm actually a huge University of Utah football fan. <laughs> so, okay. so um, they're both amazing schools. Yeah, they're both amazing schools. But I was never a big BYU football fan. But when I saw what you were doing as Cosmo, I was like, I this is the first time that I'm like really proud to be an alumni of BYU and have and be associated <laughs> with BYU football. Because I was like, that is amazing. So tell me oh, how, awesome. yeah, you were like this ESPN, you just went viral everywhere as like the mascot of the year, or I can't remember ex- all the exact titles, but you just kind of blew up everywhere because you got together with the Cougarettes and did something that I feel like no mascot has ever done before in <laughs> college sports history. It's, it's kind of like a, a weird flex. Huh? It's an amazing flex. So let's talk about like, how that happened. Like I, I saw a flyer my freshman year. Like I served a two-year church mission, which is pretty typical yeah. for the church membership. And I went to a semester at BYU before and I saw this flyer and it was like, can you dance? Can you do flips? And I was like, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> and it's like, be the mascot, right? So I went to tryouts. I was only there for a semester and they didn't take me. And I mean, there was a lot of talent there. Who knows if I would have made it Wait, anyway. so you were, are, am I getting this right? You were rejected the first time you tried out as Cosmo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I told myself, I was like, well, I was actually, wait for it. Okay. Actually, this is fun to talk yeah. about. I went on my mission and I, on my mission, I prayed every single day. And I was like, God, I want to be the mascot. Like, I want this so bad. Wow. So I'm going to work out every morning and do like, I'm going to stretch and I like, can't really like go to a gym or flip or anything, but I'm going to make sure I'm really strong and capable so I can go to tryouts when I get home. So I did and I tried out and I didn't make it. So technically I was like, like twice. I didn't make it. Wow. That's hard to believe since you were the best Cosmo in all of Cosmo (laughs) history, but keep going. (laughs) It's okay. You can admit it that you were, I know you know that. (laughs) Well, I just didn't leave. Yeah. Like I knew, I knew where like Cosmo was practicing and I knew where the dunk team was practicing and what time. So I literally just kept showing up. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I'll, I'll bring waters. I'll like drive people places. I'll wash the suit. Like I'll literally do anything. I ended up driving trailers. Cause I, I'm like pretty good at backing up trailers. Cause I grew on a ranch, grew up on a ranch. Yeah. I just like worked when I was the workhorse. And after about a year, I, I started getting like smaller gigs, like a baseball game or a tennis match and things like that. I just kind of like worked my way in. So after a while they were like, okay, fine, Charlie, we'll let you like take the yeah, little like gig on the side. And, and like, they, like they need to fill in and I'm just like, great. Wow. So your persistence paid off. Persistence pays off for sure. Persistence and prayer, baby, it pays off. But I'll tell you why I think like the difference and in, in like being kind of like a pseudo Cosmo and like occasionally filling in to like actually solidifying my place happened kind of in conjunction with coming out okay to myself a- along with this like rejection of me I changed my personality a lot and I would shy away from or not exhibit personality traits that I thought would be viewed as feminine Mm. or gay. I didn't want to like out myself. Yeah. So, so much of my mental energy was taken up, like not crossing my legs and making sure I didn't talk about movies I liked or hiding books that I read just because they were too girly or 
teeny bopperish, oh as my mom would say. <laughs> and part of it maybe helped, but a lot of it was probably just internal paranoia. Mm. I was really like not being my full self in most scenarios. Yeah. So I ended up going to Washington, D.C. for an internship over the summer mm-hmm. for my undergrad program. And while I was there, I like met gay people for the first time because I had to associate with them. There was like one of my bosses at the place where I was working was gay and I was living at this like student dorm set up and some of my like floor mates were gay. And then also like it was Pride Month and like Pride Month in DC. I like, I was living like right in the center of everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, gay people are everywhere. And I am terrified. Like they're going to figure you out. Well, I just, I was just so uncomfortable. It was like, this is off limits. Like this Mm -hmm. has always been number one off limits for Charlie Bird. And now I'm just like sharing like an office space with someone who has like a picture of him and his husband. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, "Ah." (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm going to be professional. Right. Mm -hmm. But like internally I'm freaking out. Yeah. I like very quickly as I was getting to know some of these people, I was just like, these are great people and we're really similar. And I was like, are they bad? Am I bad? Am I gay? I've never said that word, Mm -hmm. but I know like deep down I feel attracted to men or like pulled. Anyway, I, I decided that would be the summer of like, like the summer of YOLO, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nobody knows who I am. There's no like, like I could really test anything out. And then just, if it doesn't work, I'll just go back to Provo and like, yeah, I had a great internship, right? So I ended up finding a group of members of the, the church who were marching in a pride parade. And I was like, I did not know this was a thing. I'm shocked and I am scared, but I showed up and I, I mean, it was, it was scary. <laughs> it was really scary, but I showed up and they said, Hey, like they introduced themselves and said, like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm Mormon and like internal screaming. I said, and I'm gay. And it was the first time I'd ever said that. Wow. And one of these guys was like, great. <laughs> so is everyone else. <laughs> like you're in the right place. And I was like, what? This is crazy. So I spent the day with these people and I found these two guys in particular who I just like really felt like I had a lot in common with. And I just, they're so nice to me. I like for seven hours, I'm like, what about this? What about this? Did you ever do this? And they just listened. And it was like one of the best days of my life. Wow. And after that day, I was still like, so confused. Cause I'm like, hold up God. Like, I feel really good right now. I feel happy. Mm-hmm. I feel hopeful. Haven't felt that in a while, but also isn't this bad? And I just kept thinking about this. And I was like, has anyone ever been this confused? Like in the world, has anyone ever been this confused? Yeah. And then I thought about like, like the birthplace of my religion, which was a boy with a question mm. who like an off limits, crazy question. Like what is salvation? Which churches is, is true. Right. And who just took that to God in a really polarized time. Yeah. And as a little boy, when there's all these adults shouting at you, like, no, I have the truth. Uh No, I have the truth for like a kid to be like, well, actually, I'm going to challenge that and just go ask God myself. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, this is my religion. 
my religion is to ask God. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's like, that's the impetus. That's the, when you boil it down, that's what's left. Yeah. So I did. And a couple of weeks later, I, I went to a temple and I said like the most fervent prayer of my life. And I like said a real prayer. And I was like, it wasn't, it was the first time I'd ever brought up this part of myself without asking God to change it. Mm. Instead, I was like, hey, if this isn't going to change, I need to know. And I need to know what to do with it. Yeah. If, if this is part of me, if, if you did this, I don't know, but please let me know what to do with it. And I had this like moment of like the, the heavens opening, like the storm parting and like this beam of light spirituality just like filled me with love. And like, I felt so, I felt created like, and, and, and I realized that like, I'd been looking at this as like a defect, a mistake, a trial, a challenge, something to overcome. Yeah. And I realized this was like a, a gift, a blessing, something to help me serve, something to give me a different like life perspective so that I could build people and lift and inspire. And what a flip, like what a realization. And along with this, I'm like, like my mind's blown, right? I'm, I'm learning. It's, it's like paradigm shift. And I was like, I have spent so much time trying to be somebody else. Mm. And that's blocked me from my family, my friends, my my God, like I, not being me inhibited every other aspect of my life. Right. Because I was so paranoid. I was so suppressive. So after that amazing summer went back to BYU and I was like, it's go time. Like I'm me and I'm going to be me. And I don't care what people think about that. Like if I want to dance, I'm going to dance. If I like, I'm going to do me. I'd always had this dream of dancing with the Cougarettes because like, hello, they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I was like worried what people would think about me, what people would think about Cosmo. Cause he's kind of like, it's like a, it's not, he's not a goofy mascot. He's like a, it's supposed to be fierce. He's like a swaggy masculine fierce yeah. type character. Yeah. Right. I was like, no, like I did it. I've like proved myself and I'm going to pull me into this and do something new. Mm -hmm. So I did. And so it, it's funny, like, I think the reason that like, there was one video that just like went crazy and it's like across social media platforms, it literally has billions of views. Yeah. Like it's, it's out of control. And I think the reason it's so like, I don't like so compelling is because I was free. Like the, the person inside that costume was like expressing freedom you can feel um, that when you watch it too. Like there, there was so much meaning when you came out and I was like, oh, it just connected the dots, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I've done other dances in the same venue, but that one in particular was just like hit. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's why it hit because I wasn't inhibited by any of my personal thoughts about what anyone would think about me or my performance or my sexuality or anything. It was just, I love dancing and I'm going to perform. That's so awesome. 
Yeah. Well, and something that I thought about as you were talking about that time of your life where you were trying to suppress who you were, you were trying to just shove down everything about yourself that might set off flags to people or whatever that you're gay. It made me think of a book that I read recently called Leadership and Self-Deception, where the and it's written by the Arbinger Institute, and they talk about how the self-deception part is when you know your gifts and talents and who you are and and the best things about yourself. And then for whatever reason, for the reason of, you know, expectations of others or inconvenience or lots of different motives and reasons, you push against who you really are. And, and that creates this like major dissonance within yourself. And it just kind of, it, it does the opposite. It like brings the worst out of you. So, and then the contrast of what you're talking about, what happened when you finally felt like you could be yourself and embrace those gifts and talents and all of the things that God gave you. It's so cool to see that and hear that. And even to have that memory, we will for sure put in the show notes of this podcast episode, the the link to the video so people can go watch it if they want. But it's, <laughs> it's hard to describe. There aren't really words to describe just how explosive and amazing that video is. I mean, there's just like not a f- sufficient so nice words to talk about how great that was. And this is coming from someone who usually is, again, not a BYU football or BYU sports <laughs> fan, which is kind of embarrassing. But but I do love the Cougarettes. Anyway, there's a connection, though, you said between basically having that DC experience, coming back. Tr- and then I feel like maybe we left out a little bit of the story. Like you came back and that's when you had the confidence to really try out for Cosmo and nail it. Is that when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. I'd done a couple like little things, but that's when I was like, you know what? I'm, we're going for this. And I, yeah. I, in my first couple tryouts, I didn't really dance at all. My dancing is like, like I said, I love a body roll and a hip pop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those aren't like the most masculine moves. I was like, yeah, I have rhythm. See, look, but I never like full on danced. And so once I started, I was like, oh, actually I can dance. I'm a dancer. I can dance. Then it was just like, you're in. People love it. That kind of gave you the confidence, like that helped build your confidence, right? To be able to fully feel like you could eventually come out to everyone, come out publicly, I guess. Yeah. That validation was really important because even though I had these realizations, like I never put them to the test, right? Mm -hmm. I lived my whole life under the guise that if anybody knew my true self, they wouldn't like me. They'd hate me. I'd lose relationships. That's Mm -hmm. how I raised myself yeah that was my working like operating condition I started testing that I was like okay like I'm gonna be me and let's see what happens having that validated and once like relationships started getting better I was like I'm gonna be more me and like I said at the beginning identities matter when they influence the way you're viewed and treated and maybe even the way you view and treat your treat yourself yeah this part of my identity like the fact that I'm gay that was like the biggest hangup for me. And I was like, that's what I need to share. Wow. Like this has shaped me so much because I've put so much of myself into like so much energy into figuring that out. I need to share that with my brother. I need to share that with my mom. These people need to know who I am and what's made me me. And it was amazing to see how, when I did that, not only we became closer, but also they were able to share parts of them that they were scared about or ashamed of mm. and holding on to in secret. And those relationships just became so much deeper and more meaningful because of the truth and authenticity that I was pumping into my life. Yeah. 
Can you tell me about maybe one of your most positive experiences coming out to someone and what they did right? Yeah, I think probably the first person I came out to was my cousin, Rachel, and we're, we're best friends. And we have always been. And that one was the most emotionally difficult for me because it was the first time that I'd done it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that like actually had something to lose, right? Yeah. If I tell her this and it changes the way she views me, then it's over. Like you can't go back. So I was scared of that. And it was, it was honestly a disaster. Like I was, I was crying and no, she did good, but like me, I like emotionally, I just like blah exploded. And she just like listened and she just like waited. And then she said, Charlie, I love you. I always have. And I always will. And I'm so glad you told me this. What do you need? Who can I be for you right now? And I was like, man, this, this, this woman's amazing. And that's the message I needed, you know, because here I am scared that my best friend wouldn't love me and that, that this would put distance between us. And she says, I do love you. And we're closer now. That's where healing begins. That's awesome. I had an experience recently too, where a friend came out to me as gay and she texted me and told me, and I immediately texted her back and said, I love you. And bunch of exclamation points, all caps. And just kind of like you're saying, what can I, how can I support you and love you? What can I do for you? But I did receive a question. I do these like spiritual Q and A's and on Sundays Mm -hmm. and someone asked me, I have a family. I can't remember if it was a family member or something who just came out to them as trans, what do I do, if anything? And I mm-hmm. said, what do you do? You just show love. There's a little bit of a discussion there, but I think some people don't know how. Like they fear the unknown or they don't want to do something wrong or they don't quite know mm-hmm. how to react. So they just kind of are paralyzed in fear of doing the wrong thing or not too much or not enough of or whatever. And so how do you coach people through like, Hey, if this happens to you or when it does, or how, how do you best show love and support to people in that situation? I would first just normalize that feeling of paralysis and Mm. fear because when we're put into a a space that we're not sure about, that feels really important. Mm -hmm. Of course you're hesitant. Right. And I think behind that is like this intention to really want to, support and lift someone and be there for someone and not quite knowing how. So if you're feeling that way, I'd I'd say that's really normal. I've seen, I feel like love without understanding doesn't always connect well. Mm. And it kind of goes into this like intentions versus impact thing, right? Like I have really good intentions, but if if the impact doesn't match those intentions, like, (laughs) you know, it's not working. Right. I think having a sound understanding of somebody and their experience is so crucial. And while there might be like themes or shared experience among LGBTQ plus people Mm -hmm. or LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints or or whatever, whichever cross-section, everybody's individual experiences are so different. Right. And I think if you can just take the time to ask questions, open-ended questions, like, what is this like for you? What's been your experience? What's been hard? What's been beautiful? What do you need? What do you wish people understood? That's when you start learning about the person. And that 
love that you give them can start to connect if you know where they're at and, and what they need. Yeah. So that's my advice. So when you decided to come out publicly, why the Deseret News and why a written piece? What was the, there's something like the spirit led you there or that was where you felt mm-hmm. safest or how did that come about? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I never wanted to come out publicly. I was at a point in my life where my friends and family knew I felt fine. I was good. And I didn't, I didn't feel the need for it to be like a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing so much pain Mm -hmm. in the space. I had friends who were not being loved by their families who were ostracized from people that were important to them. I knew a lot of people who didn't have like role models or anyone to look up to or a support system and, and really like a lack of experience with boundaries and just like not doing well, a lot of pain, a lot of suicidality. And I kept waiting for someone to like say something or do something about it. And like, it wasn't happening or at least not in the way where I saw, saw like a gap which was in this really interesting space of LGBTQ plus and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like there was nothing going on in the, in the thick of that. So I was praying and I just felt like I should come out and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I know that for the rest of my life, everyone will just like either think I talk too much about my sexuality or like pin that on me and put their own expectations or presumptions onto me. I don't want that. Yeah but it just kept, kept coming. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try to do it. If I'm going to hit the middle of this space, I'm going to hit the middle of this space. And I wanted to write because I wanted it to hit well. Like I wanted to make sure I could really have a lot of control of what I was saying and how it was received. But it was really important to me to go through the Deseret News because they were, they're they're owned by the church, right? Mm -hmm. And the subscribership, if that's a word, (laughs) (laughs) So that news outlet is going to be those orthodox believers who maybe haven't been exposed to someone or don't realize that gay and religion is not us versus them. Yes. For me to say, I am an active member of the church. I'm here. You already know who I am. I was Cosmo. You've already loved me. I'm like, your son has a poster of me in a suit on, on his wall. Mm. And look, and I'm this, and it's okay, and it's good. I think that really opened a lot of people's hearts. Yes. That's why I wanted to do it that way. It was beautifully done, and it really touched me and so many other people. And I think you really did open a lot of doors for people to reverse some of those really tragic and really hurtful things about feeling rejected or feeling alone. We talk about terminally unique. That's a topic that my husband talks about a lot with people who it's totally different, but in a similar way, he struggled with pornography addiction his entire life. And until he opened up about that, and then other people felt safe to open up to him about their struggles too. There's so many people who just probably feel like I'm all alone. I'm the only one, even though people know and they say like, oh, there's other people, but it's like, who do you know? Do you really know a person? Do you, can you identify like one person? that is embodying what you hope to become or whatever. So it was done so well. And I think that a lot of, I think you're providing a lot of kids and people with hope and with positive association of, oh, this can be, this this can turn into 
a positive thing. And you talk about some of the other really heavy things that can happen on, on the flip side, on the other side of people who take that in, in the very worst way, like the people that we lose to suicide because they feel rejected and they don't feel loved and they don't feel accepted. And you're doing yeah. such an important work with helping people feel hope. Thank you. I wanted to ask too, in one of your podcast episodes, you interviewed a man who was a bishop who was talking about how he talked to his congregation about how they can be more loving and accepting to LGBTQ people in the church. And your counterpart, your co-host said, his name's Ben, right? I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said yeah, that ben he was saying that like half the time when he gets booked for appearances or firesides or whatever, that people end up backing out and they end up canceling because mm-hmm. they're just nervous. Yeah. And so I would love for you to just speak to anyone who is in that type of like a church leadership position or they they have that desire to create more understanding and more acceptance and love, but they're they're afraid or they're just like not quite sure how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like what's the ideal in your mind? What's the ideal way to create that safety within the walls of religion? I think first, again, I would just validate that feeling mm-hmm. and, and normalize the idea of I have desires to serve. I'm not sure where or how. And it, it is like, it's tricky for a lot of people. It's been taboo for a long time. And even within the church, like the way it's been talked about and policies surrounding it have shifted and shifted back and shifted again a lot in the past, like during our lifetimes. Yeah. And with that, I, I think I'd go back to that moment I had in Washington, D.C., where, hey, I have this tricky thing. I don't know where to go or what to do with it. Like, I feel so strongly that God is in the details of our lives and has information has light and knowledge to give us. And in every family and every congregation and every wherever, there's going to be different needs and different ways to approach things, right? And the only one who knows that, I believe, is our creator. Mm. Pairing information with good questions to God and that like seeking for understanding, getting to know LGBTQ people, learning more about them. And then saying, God, like, I have a desire to serve in this part of, like, the vineyard, like, to use, like, a parable. Like, I, I want to serve here. Yeah. How, how can I do it? And, and I think you'll be inspired. Like, like in, in fact, like, I think you'll be inspired quickly because there are people who need support. God's children, God's LGBTQ plus children are in dire need of support and love. And there's answers if you ask. That's what I think. That's a really good answer. Thank you for that. So what's next for you? We talked a tiny, tiny bit about this in Hawaii, but you just finished. Well, you could talk briefly just (laughs) about doing cheerleading and how that was was a really cool thing that you went back to BYU and finally embraced this part of you that you always wanted to live out. That's That was really cool to watch that. Yeah, thank you. So what's next for me? I don't know. I'm going to figure that out, but I wrote my book. I finished it. It was published just under two years ago. Mm-hmm. And with that, I, I wanted a little bit more training in the mental health space. So I went back to BYU for a master's in social work. I finished about, about three weeks ago. So congratulations! I'm a master now. <laughs> a ton of <laughs> work. You. Um, yes. Yeah. And it was, it was difficult. And along with that, I was on the cheer squad. W- one thing I've been trying to do since coming out is kind of like, 
all the things that I used to not like be too scared to try or do. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know what? Life's too short. I'm going to do them. And I'd always wanted to be a cheerleader. Had I had the confidence initially, I probably would have just tried out for the cheer squad and not, and not have been the mascot. I really liked the way my life played out there. Like it ended up being an amazing fit for me at the time. Yes. But for my master's program, I was like, I've always wanted to cheer. I never have. So I'm gonna go for it. I tried out, I made the team and ended up like, being part of the the competition squad that competed at nationals in, in Daytona Beach. Like it was awesome. You guys we got did really place. well. Yeah. We did really well. Like we hadn't been in like 12 years. BYU hadn't had a team that was um, competition ready like that. And we ended up placing fourth, which is huge. huge. So right now I'm just kind of like knocking off all those things that I always wanted to try. The future is, I don't know. I feel like I'm in such an undecided period because I just barely graduated. I'm like looking for jobs and I'm finishing up another book that I've written that will hopefully come out soon-ish. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to read it. And I met a guy that I really, really like. And he's also a strong member of the church. And we're trying to see what that looks like. It's it's scary, but it's exciting. And I just trust that as I move forward a day at a time, I'll figure it out. I'm learning how to cook. You're learning how to cook? That's great. Do you know, I've never had to make my own meals ever. Isn't that so You've just been living by the Cannon Center for all this time? Well, 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 in athletics, I've always had like a, like a food scholarship. Got it. Like dining plus. So that's, yeah. So that's six years of of BYU that's been feeding me. And then like on my mission, I always ate with like board members and my mom cooked when I was home and I'm like, I don't know how to cook and I'm freaking 28 years old. This that's is crazy. Okay. So I'm like taking a step back and I'm like learning how to do regular skills. Yeah. Survival skills. I love that. So that's, that's funny. That's awesome. Well, and with your social, you said social work, right? Is that, mm-hmm, that yeah. was what your master's program was in. So is that something you hope to be able to build on or work in or I think it's a fascinating field because it's so like universal. You can do a lot within it. Yeah. I'm taking an exam to become certified as a clinical therapist within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully for the rest of my life, I'll dedicate time to advocating for minority groups and people who don't have the same rights and access to resources as other people. Like it's, it's so important to me to just like build up the least of these. Yes. I hope to always be in that space. Yes. I wanted to say this too. I love that you have referenced throughout this podcast episode too, that you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I'm always a big advocate for using the church's correct name, because I feel like the center of who we are and what we believe as members of this church is Jesus Christ. And if we think about how he would treat literally everyone, all people, it's just with love. And so I think you're doing such a good job of advocating for all of the people who need an extra measure of love and understanding and acceptance. So you're doing a really, really good job of it. And I'm super grateful for you. Yeah. And I have four kids. And if any of them is ever in this position, that I'm grateful that there are people like you who they can look to and feel like they don't have to pick one or the other. They don't have to abandon if they choose to believe what I believe, that makes me really happy that they can, that they don't, it's not like a choice. It's not like a, well, now you have to pick one or the other. And you've been such a good example of that. So. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I so appreciate you like taking the time to elevate my voice and 
and kind of give understanding to people and like spread that reach. It's really, I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Okay. My last question for you is if there's one message that you want the people listening to this podcast episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? I think I want it to be the most important message for me to remember that the best me is the real me. Mm. And there's things about yourself that you might be scared of that you might feel put you at odds or make you too different. And no, for me, when I've embraced those parts of me, my life has become so much more full of joy and so much more meaningful. So the best you is the real you. And that's what, that's what I want to see. And I hope that you'll show it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Charlie. Where can people find you? Where, where can they follow along and see all the new things that you're up to? And on Instagram, I'm Mr. Charlie Bird. And also on TikTok. I started doing TikTok recently. It's a weird place, awesome. but it's funny. Oh, I'm sure weird. you're the perfect fit for TikTok with your dancing <laughs> and your personality and everything. I host uh, my podcast, Questions from the Closet. That can be found wherever wherever podcasts can be found. With that, you'll, you can stay up to date. Mr. Charlie Bird and Questions from the Closet. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Charlie, for your time and for all of the heart that you put into this. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh